support for INS Podcasts comes from BD, helping all people live healthy lives. Visit them at www.bd.com. Welcome to Episode 18 of the Infusion Nurses Society Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Barrett, nurse educator with INS. In this episode, I chat with Mary Sousa. She's the immediate past president of ARIN, the Association for Radiologic and Imaging Nursing. We're going to find out who ARIN is and what nurses from both our specialties have in common. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast and enjoy the discussion. Mary, welcome and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. First off, I'd like to know a little bit more about you, your history with radiologic imaging nursing and your history as a nurse. Well, I've been a nurse for a long time, <laughs> 40 years now, and have done, you know, like most nurses, a lot of different roles. But when I first got out of school, I worked in a step-down unit that had open-heart surgery, a lot of really complicated vascular cases, and actually some neuro on it as well. Mm -hmm. I got a really good flavor for taking care of some uh, pretty sick patients back then in the the 70s. After doing that for a period of time and becoming a charge nurse, I made a move to Leahy Clinic and worked there again in a cardiac step-down unit. And there was an opening in radiology in a department called Special Procedures. Mm -hmm. I had a baby, and so I was coming back to work and looking for a a part-time position. And, you know, my boss had said, Mary, I think you'd really like this. It's got a lot of, you know, the critical care stuff in it. They really need a nurse with good assessment skills and some critical care background. So I applied for the job uh, down there. At that time, they had two suites, a neuro suite and a general interventional radiology suite. And so I interviewed, I became just completely fascinated with, Mm -hmm. you know, the work down there. A lot of it at that time really was around angiogram. And so that's where I got my first taste. I stayed in in that arena for a couple of years, but eventually I did go back to critical care and did that for about 25 years and, you know, many capacities and then found myself back down in radiology about nine years ago and, again, totally, you know, immersed in it. It has changed so much since my original uh, introduction to it, and I'm just so excited because that real, this is really the future of patient care mm-hmm. is using imaging to do all sorts of really wonderful things and not having to open patients up to do an exploratory or uh, big open surgical procedures. Everything can be done with image guidance now, which is just amazing. It is very fascinating. So as a radiologic nurse, is is that where it all started? How, where did Where did radiologic nursing begin? My idea of it is that it always had to do with radiation oncology, but I understand that's not really the case. Right. Radiation oncology is really separate mm-hmm. because that's really the science and the care of providing, you know, directed radiation therapy, you know, to a particular area where mm-hmm. there might be a cancer. With uh, radiology nursing, you know, we're really dealing with all of the different modalities that exist today that we can use to image something. Maybe I'll start back with... Um, 
just giving a little bit of a history of how this kind of nursing, you know, first came about. So, sure. You know, we think about Florence Nightingale as the founder of modern nursing. So for radiology nursing, our founder or our Florence Nightingale hmm. is Charlotte Goodwin. This dates back, you know, into the early 1911 time frame when we began to see there's documentation that shows us that there were nurses that were working in diagnostic sections uh, within radiology departments. And right here in uh, Boston at Massachusetts General Hospital, uh, there is also uh, notations where nurses were helping doctors in what was considered a dual role back then. The nurse was acting as a nurse and as that it was called a technician back mm-hmm. then. Today, of course, if I ever use the word technician <laughs> to describe what a radiology technologist does, um, you know, uh, they wouldn't be too happy with that. Yeah, and yeah. the word was uh, technician. And uh, these nurses, as early as 1920, we see that there are their names are listed in organizations such as the American Society of X-ray Technicians and the mm-hmm. American Registry of Radiologic Technicians. So when contrast was discovered in uh, the 1920s, that role of the nurse, you know, they they were working as a nurse and a technician, it began, began to be divided out. And the nurse began to have that um, kind of more independent role in the department. In 1935 at John Hopkins, Um, They had opened up a radiology department, and they staffed it with two technicians and one nurse. Mm -hmm. And uh, that nurse began to have more of of a nursing function rather than the technician function that they originally had in radiology. So it grew from there. And as more developments were occurring and, of course, you know, with – uh, regulatory agencies such as JACO and so forth, you know, the roles began to be identified and separated out between what the technician was doing and what the technologist was doing. So the Association for Radiologic and Imaging Nursing came about in 1981 when, you know, these handful of nurses that were working in this very unique environment, you know, felt the need to come together and create an association where, you know, they could share information. And at that time, Erin was actually called ARNA, the American Radiologic Nurses Association. Founders like Joanna Poe, who is still living, you know, were instrumental in in bringing uh, these uh, nursing groups together, uh, these group of nurses who worked in radiology together, and uh, began to create uh, practices and guidelines and uh, put educational material together uh, to guide nurses who were in this, you know, very unique environment, very unique department in a hospital. And so later on, ARNA became Aaron, and that was about 10 years ago. And the reason that we changed to today's name, the Association for Radiologic and Imaging Nursing, was based on the fact that Number one, we were not just an American organization. We were international because we have members from all over the world. And then secondly, to only say radiology, it didn't seem to really adequately bring in some of those other imaging 
modalities that we use, Mm -hmm. such as MRI. So MRI doesn't use radiation. Ultrasound doesn't use radiation, but yet these are modalities that, you know, exist in our specialty. So that's why uh, the name change. So today we're international. We have 18 chapters, and our membership is made up of mostly nurses, but we do have some radiologic technologists a couple of physicians, and we do have a growing number of nurse practitioners. And believe it or not, we do have a lot of tick nurses that belong to our group as well. Yeah, I kind of do believe that because we do have, there's a lot of nurses out there that are placing picks, and I know that ultrasound is like, it's a given now that you're going to use ultrasound when you start a pick, whereas when I first learn to put PICs in myself, there was no such thing as ultrasound. So the technology has really advanced the placement of these devices and the nurses that use them. And this would be one place where a nurse could look to understand ultrasound a little better? Yep, absolutely. And a lot of departments, whether we're looking at it from the IV team, PIC team, on how they uh, relate to the interventional radiology department, mm-hmm. or looking within the radiology department and seeing where that IV access team fits in. And, uh, you know, I've seen it both ways. Sometimes those PIC teams come directly as part of the staff of the interventional radiology department or vice versa, where the uh, PIC team, which is located in radiology, and maybe that's where they exclusively are doing their procedures, may actually report to and be an entity that belongs to, you know, the IV access department of a hospital. So there's really a lot of overlapping, I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, between our departments related to fluoroscopy, IR, some hospitals and some teams are still uh, putting lines in that way or uh, using um, all of the new ultrasound uh, devices that are available either at the bedside or in a department to uh, insert vascular access. The nurse that works in, in imaging and radiologic nursing is, is not going to be confined necessarily to the radiation suite or that area, correct? Like you said, they can go out to the bedside for placing picks. Are they also starting to see some of that as far as sighting peripheral devices such as short peripherals or midlines? For those departments that are set up uh, where they are the go-to service in the hospital that provides the, the IV access, we would see that there as well. But more and more, I think that most systems uh, are really doing more of the complicated cases down in their radiology Mm -hmm. department and really having, you know, a hospital-based team that does the midlines and, you know, some of the other other lines that that you folks typically place. Okay. Um, Is there other practice areas where you'll actually see radiology-type nurses? Is it strictly the hospital setting, or are there other domains where they may be working? The radiology nurse is really working almost everywhere now. So Mm -hmm. initially we were hospital-based, so, you know, cath lab, interventional radiology, neuroradiology, you know, where we're doing all the cool stuff with stroke (laughs) care. Breast imaging, you know, lots of stuff happening in breast imaging, including some new treatments for cancer, you know, that we're doing there. 
nuclear medicine. There's all kinds of scans that are done in nuke med that, that nurses are involved in the care of those patients. PET CT and, of course, you know, CAT scan, because that's been around for a while mm-hmm. now. But we have nurses working in those departments and then ultrasound, you know, so many uh, new things happening in ultrasound where we're uh, doing, you know, percutaneous procedures in there where there there is nursing care of that patient. So today I would say that, you know, almost I'd say probably 80% of the patients that come into a hospital system are seen somewhere in radiology, you know, that Mm -hmm. either they're having an ultrasound, they're having a CAT scan, a simple x-ray, they may be going to MRI, they may have a nuke med study. And so for the care of these patients, you know, we do need uh, nurses to be there to uh, take care of them. So that's on the hospital side. But you are seeing this, I'm, I'm certain, almost everywhere across the country that we have outpatient clinics that are popping up or, you know, fast-track clinics that mm-hmm. are uh, popping up, as well as privately-owned services that might be owned by, say, a physician group, a radiology physician group, and they may be doing vein care. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're doing access in those uh, clinics. They might be doing dialysis some patients. So really everywhere. We're mm-hmm. seeing that it's not just in the hospital, in these uh, other clinics and outpatient departments that, you know, radiology is there. And so because radiology is there and we're doing procedures, you know, you need nurses. So the skill set that's involved with radiology nursing, is is it different from other nursing? Are there different things you need to be aware of with the patient or assess for? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, we often say that the skill set for a radiology nurse is really a component of uh, critical care. So the skills that a nurse that might be working in the ICU or CCU, ER, PACU, uh, those kinds of uh, really great uh, critical care skills, assessment skills, knowing what to do when a patient, you know, is crashing, Mm -hmm. uh, how to uh, keep them hemodynamically stable and so forth. But those are really important skills for the nurse in radiology. The nurse in radiology needs to have um, the ability to read dysrhythmias. So, mm-hmm. you know, having uh, telemetry skills, being able to assess that EKG uh, reading and know uh, what to do if, you know, there are changes. And IV access. I mean, there's, we can't, there's really, I can't think of a procedure that we do that we don't need IV access. Mm-hmm. So having good IV skills to initiate access, but also to understand all of the different uh, types of accesses that are used in radiology from central lines to VADs to midlines, as as you were mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. So all of the different types of of access. They also need to be really good with patient teaching. So almost like some of the VNA kinds of uh, skills, uh, because a lot of our patients do get discharged right back home or to a nursing home or out to VNA to be able to anticipate what are the needs of that patient when they're going to leave the department, making sure that they have the right follow-up and that the family and the patient uh, have the teaching that they need to be able to, um, you know, do the self-care related to whatever it was that we did. That's an extremely important uh, part of the role of the nurse in radiology as well. 
Excellent. So um, let's say I'm I'm the nurse on the floor and I've I've got a patient that's going to be going down for a contrast CT. I already have a device started. You know, let's say I've got a patient with a portacath, um, an implanted port that can be used for injection, for contrast injection. Do I, what, what do I look for or can I decide anything as far as that device goes if it can be used in radiology or do I leave that up to the radiation people? Uh, radiology people. Okay. The, that's, that's such an important um, question. So this is something that we're faced with, you know, every day when a patient is ordered for a contrast study, especially if we're going to be using the power injector to perform that particular study. Ascertaining that the line, if, if it is a, um, a central uh, device that we're using, that that is pressure rated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, initially it was quite difficult to, you know, be able to confirm whether or not those uh, devices were pressure rated. And, of course, lots has been done to, you know, mitigate that risk by having the the markings, you know, on the device and we can take a scout film. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what what would happen with, you know, the the cards that patients are given that says, here's the device that was inserted, we give that to the patient Mm -hmm. or perhaps it's put in the chart, uh, in radiology, patients come from all over the place, and it's not unusual for a patient to go to one hospital for one thing and then go to another hospital for something else. So the information that we may have from what they have in place may not actually be the latest or the most accurate. So there, there, there was great concern about, you know, assuming that, you know, this was a device that was inserted at such and such a facility, but yet patient went to Florida and had something else, you know, done and something else put in. So we can't just use the information that they have on those cards. We have to fully establish that, in fact, we do know what that line is, that it is uh, pressure rated, and uh, whether or not, you know, the physician, the radiologist, you know, makes the determination that that's the line that we can use. So the nurses on the floor or the nurses on the access team Communicating with that with the team down in whatever department that patient is going to, it's really important to have that conversation. So if we do not know what, if that line in fact you know is power rated, if we're not able to determine that, we will put in a peripheral line. We'll always yeah. err on the side of you know being safe. Sometimes it's the displeaser to the patient, mm-hmm. but if we can't get the documentation on the line, then we would insert a peripheral line. So I, I know other nurses have asked this too. Why power injection? What is the purpose of power injection? How does it enhance or does it enhance the it studies? Does. That's that's another really great question. So the way these these scans work now and, and, and the reason that we can get such good pictures. So as you know, the reason that we use contrast is contrast illuminates and helps to provide differences in density in an organ or a vessel, whatever we're looking at. So it creates that change so that when we take the picture, whether we're doing just a straight, a straight ordinary x-ray, that the contrast between the densities, you know, uh, we get that black and white or gray, you know, looking picture. When we go into, you know, CAT scan and some of the other uh, modalities that we use, 
when we inject the contrast, if it can be timed to a heartbeat and, you know, circulation, and then the computer can pick up its program to take pictures at, you know, certain time intervals. So if we can inject that very smoothly and very quickly, that's why we're using that power injector. Okay. Okay. So that it can be delivered um, quickly and very smoothly. And then the equipment picks up the rate, the uh, contrast as it's going through the body. Okay. And it can, you know, begin to take those pictures, uh, which causes the, the, the change in contrast. And we can then uh, see the organ or the blood vessel, whatever we're looking at. So the timing and is is what um, becomes really important with the uh, the use of the uh, power injector. So if we're using a very small device, you mm-hmm. know, say you're using a 22 angio, mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to get the volume and the time in maybe as quickly as we need. So that's why usually we're looking for a 20 or 18 to do these procedures in CAT scan because we need to deliver a certain amount of volume over a very fast period of time so that the computer can begin to take pictures and acquire, acquire, you know, the, the pictures as the contrast is circulating through the body. Okay, so that's one thing the, the infusion nurse, when she's up on the floor or in the, ED or whatever department she happens to be in needs to keep in mind when placing a device that this patient may indeed need a CAT scan at some point and and it should be a a decent size catheter that we put in. Yeah, it is. And and also, I know I'm not telling, you guys are the experts on, (laughs) um, you know, veins and so forth, but, you know, just as a reminder, of course, we want to go to the larger vessels, staying away from the wrist staying away from, you know, angles and mm-hmm. and uh, feet, especially if we're doing power injections. You know, we really don't like to use those sites at all. They're associated with, you know, a higher potential of extravasation. And, and, and speaking of that, too, what, what are some of the things that when our patient returns to us that we need to be monitoring for at that injection site? Usually if there's going to be a problem, we usually see that down in the department. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, contrast can be an irritant. It is, you know, being delivered. Uh, it can be delivered using the pressure injector, which usually if there's going to be a problem, it's we we usually see that down in the department. But okay. any of the signs and symptoms of extravasation, you know, swelling, pain, pain is a big one that we look for. If mm-hmm. the patient in any way is complaining of any kind of pain at that site, and we always do a test dose of the contrast before we inject uh, to make sure that there is no pain. So it's very important to have a patient that can talk to us. So if there's a language barrier, we we need to make sure we have an interpreter there so that we're assessing whether or not there's any kind of discomfort. And as that CAT scan is initiated, the the CT uh, tech or the nurse who's working in the department has instructed that patient to immediately report any kind of pain at that site right away because Mm -hmm. they'll terminate the injection and go back in there and assess that site because, you know, we want to um, prevent any chance of extravasation. So let's say, unfortunately, that we do have an uh, an infiltration, extravasation of the contrast. What do we as as nurses 
or even as family members, if the patient goes home, how do we treat that? We treat that same as uh, the protocol that that you have on the floor. Elevate the extremity if if it's an extremity. You know, we would mm-hmm. elevate the extremity. Uh, we would either use warmth or cold. There's no research that indicates that one is better than the other. Those that use warmth think that there's better reabsorption of the uh, solution. Those that use cold think that it decreases the amount of swelling that occurs at the site and can also be comforting to the patient. Uh, what I would you know, want to reinforce here is there were times in the past that there were recommendations that steroids or you know, certain types of agents would be injected into that infiltrate site. Mm-hmm. That we can say best practice indicates that that is not uh, that is not something that should be done. In fact, it's harmful. Okay. In radiology, because oftentimes these patients may be outpatients and go home, we uh, will set up a follow up uh, call with them. You know, every 24 hours until their symptoms have completely resolved. Okay. If there is any indication that this is, uh, that, you know, if the patient continues to complain of pain, if there's, you know, any evidence of blistering or anything like that, we get an immediate consult to plastics or uh, surgery okay. for an evaluation. One of the, I guess, big, I, I don't want to say biggest, but, and if it's going to happen, it is compartment syndrome. Yeah. Uh, that's a really yeah. serious, serious thing that can happen with the, the infiltration of a contrast material. And therefore, that's why you're referring them to the plastics or the surgeons on that side. Right. And, you know, just going back to the nursing care, you know, we take measurements. So okay. it's recommended that we get a girth measurement of both extremities so that a comparison can be done and so that you establish a baseline. And uh, as I said, we go a lot by the uh, complaints of the patient. If there's any complaints of continued pain, tingling, numbness, which, you know, would be indicating that um, maybe you're you're beginning to have some compartment syndrome symptoms there, you know, we would immediately, as I say, get that consult done, have that patient looked at right away. Um, And I don't, is it based on weight, how much uh, contrast a patient's given. I was just trying to think of like the number of cc's a patient would have. Is it like 10 cc's or are you giving them 150 uh, yeah. mLs, well, I guess? It, but. It, it depends on the study. Okay. So it could be anywhere from 50 to 100 to more. Okay. So it could be a good amount of uh, volume. When the the equipment today we can we can we have an idea of how much you know is is delivered. So if we had to stop a procedure because say a patient was complaining, uh, we would have an idea of you know how much volume was delivered mm-hmm. at that time. So maybe patient was complaining at the time that about thirty cc's of that bolus you know had been injected. So we'd know could be somewhere around that. Some of it might have gotten you know centrally absorbed. Mm-hmm. You know, if we know it was at, you know, at 100, say 100 cc's of the bolus had been used, then, you know, probably you've got, you know, more if some was absorbed and some was extravasated. So we have a little bit of an idea, and we do record that. That okay. is one of the things that is also recorded in that that post-documentation that the nurse does. Because we really don't know how much 
fluid it would take to cause a compartment syndrome is, of course, going to vary by patient and their size and what we look for is mm-hmm. going to be the same. So, And it can take a few hours. So as you said, the, the teaching is one of the really important things that the nurse has to do. And um, I, I think that floor nurses certainly appreciate the radiology or the, the radiology imaging nurse be the one to teach them that, be the one that they learn it from. They, I'm sure I would feel much more comfortable hearing it from the expert. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the expert, what more in, in radiology and imaging nursing, there is a certification for that as well? Yes. 2,000 hours of radiology nursing experience and 30 CUs, 15 of which need to be radiology specific Mm -hmm. uh, prior to an individual being able to sit for the certifying exam. And the certifying exam is CRN, Certified Radiology Nurse. Those are the abbreviations. The Association for Radiologic and Imaging Nursing, we have lots of education CUs that are radiology-specific. So if a nurse is looking to, uh, you know, prepare herself for uh, the certification exam, they can take advantage of the webinars and all the different learning CU educational programs that Erin has. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we do have what we call an imaging radiology nurse review course and this is a two-day course, 15 CUs. It's an excellent course because it talks about all of the modalities in radiology, mm-hmm. so not just interventional radiology. You know, it talks about CT, PET, MRI, ultrasound, you know, breast imaging. It talks about radiation safety and all those things that are so important to know if you're going to be, you know, working in this department. Mm-hmm. Uh, So I think it's a really great way for nurses preparing for the exam, you know, because you're going to get a really good foundation. But I also think, you know, for departments, because this is one of those unique kind of specialties, I think it's really a great resource for nurses who want to expand their own knowledge. Or if they're new in the department after they've been there for a little bit, I wouldn't recommend taking it, you know, right the first month that you're working in radiology probably going to have, you know, too much information for you at that point. But say you've been down there six months or so or, you know, a year, it would be, I would say that it would be a really good course to take to augment, you know, your skill level. As well as we have a core curriculum, it's the third edition. I think that this is something that every department should have so that nurses have a place to go and they can reference, uh, you know, best practice or what the standard of care is related to something, you know, in the department. Sure. So where can um, any nurse that, that's interested either in just knowing more or wanting to become a radiology nurse, where can they go to find information? So they can come right to the Erin website, and we do have information on radiology nursing, how to become a member, how to prepare for the certification exam, and so forth. But we we realize that radiology nursing, you know, as a specialty is not really well known or has Mm -hmm. not been well known. Even within a hospital system, your uh, directors of nursing or chief nursing officers, you know, the the really top honchos in, in hospitals sometimes are not really even sure of what it is that nurses are doing in radiology. Mm -hmm. 
or if they even have nurses down there. And we see this all the way through to our nursing curriculum. We often joke that radiology and nursing, we're the best kept secret in our hospital, <laughs> and we're trying to break out of that. Sure. And so we actually were just at the National Student Nurses Association at their their local conference that they mm-hmm. had, and one of our uh, board members was there presenting radiology as a career choice. So we're trying to get out there to the nursing schools so that nurses know that this is a career choice. We also encourage colleges, schools of nursing, and when you're orienting new staff to a hospital, to have them come down to interventional radiology and spend a little time down there, uh, get a, get an idea of what it is that you know, is required in the care of the patients in radiology. And I think it also builds that really good relationship, you know, communication between departments. So I think those are all really valuable things to try. So the Erin website, I believe, is ARINursing.org, correct? Uh Or you can easily do a Google search, too, and find that. Um, Before we dismiss our call or talk here and finish up for the day. Do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about Erin and the importance of radiology and imaging nursing? I think maybe, you know, between our two organizations, maybe two takeaway messages. Number one, how important intravenous access is to the care of our patients in radiology. Mm-hmm. And so I see this as an enormous, um, you know, collaborative initiative that can exist between our department and, you know, infusion nurses, IV teams, and so forth. I think that this is something that we can do jointly together. Additionally, today, I don't think any nursing department can really operate in a silo. Mm-hmm. And so something particularly, well, maybe it's not particularly unique, unique to radiology, but what we face in radiology is that our patients come from all over the place. They come from the nursing home, they come from the floor, they come from the ER, they may come direct to our department from a trauma. Maybe the uh, IV access was initiated by the EMTs in the field, by any of the nurses in any of the uh, you know floors or ER, or, or it could be the, um, the resident, okay, mm-hmm. putting in lines. So you can see that, or, or the uh, RTs, they put in lines mm-hmm. all the time. So uh, one of the things that I say is I think it's important to have that collaborative relationship uh, so that when we, when we perform this task, IV access, that we're all doing it the same way. So right. whatever the best practice is in that facility, that all of those entities are, are using the same format, have received the same education, perform the same competencies, uh, and have, you know, the resources, educational resources that you need in order to do your job, you know, well. So I think that there's great collaboration in that. The second thing is that I think quality improvement and measurements, data collection, whether we're looking at infection, you know, related to line placement or extravasations or any of those other quality initiatives. Uh, related to this. I think that this, again, is something that there's overlapping between both of our groups. So making sure that, you know, we have the IV access team there and making sure that we have a nurse uh, representing, you know, radiology services and any of those kinds of uh, programs that 
might be done. And then lastly, um, I'd just like to say that when nurses from other departments visit radiology, that it is important uh, that you stay safe. So, you know, we do have, you know, radiation. We do use radiation in our departments. So keeping in mind, you know, the, the three important factors to, you know, protect yourself from radiation, that's time, not exposing uh, yourself to the radiation rays, like if you're helping to do a fluoroscopic procedure, um, you know, limiting the amount of time that um, you're exposed, Mm -hmm. distance, you know, the further away from the source of radiation, you know, the the better off you are, Mm -hmm. and then shielding. When you come to the department, be sure that you're given the right apron, a thyroid collar, that you're given eyewear, you know, to uh, protect the cornea. Radiation does affect uh, the cornea, can lead to cataracts. And then MRI, I know MRI, sometimes we forget to talk about that, that the magnet is never turned off. So being sure that we're not bringing equipment from outside the department that could potentially become a rocket and, um, you know, be dangerous to anyone in the environment. Excellent. Those are really good points to know, and I'm sure most of us would not even be aware of that. So again, like you said, a collaboration between the infusion nurses and the radiology nurses to know how to keep ourselves safe and what's safe for the patients as well. Mary, I want to thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. It's been a pleasure and I've learned a great deal. And I encourage everybody that has any questions to take a look at your website and I'm sure there's contact information there if they would have further questions. Yes. And please feel free to share my contact information if anyone would like to uh, contact me directly. Certainly, we will do that. Once again, thank you, and we will talk with you again. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was a pleasure. Many thanks to Mary for joining us in our discussion today. More information regarding the Association of Radiologic and Imaging Nursing can be found on their website. You'll find a link to that website, Erin, along with Mary's contact information in the show notes for this episode. Show notes are available online on our website at the INS Learning Center. Look for the podcast and the little flyout will show you show notes. If you subscribe to the podcast with iTunes, you'll automatically receive the latest episode delivered directly to your mobile device. Thanks again for joining us.